0: I'm your host, Gil Martin, I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, everyone, welcome to the Monday edition of the On Islanders Podcast. Today's podcast brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. All right, we have got a lot to get to, folks. Look, August 1st finally came. The Islanders played their first meaningful game since early March. We will break it down, analyze it, and tell you why this win has me feeling very optimistic about the Islanders' chances of winning this opening round series. There are some concerns, but overall, a very solid job by the New York Islanders. We will analyze it all, break it all down, and tell you why. We have our Islanders' birthday of the day coming up, and we'll start thinking and looking ahead to Game 2 of this series, And look, games two and three are coming on back-to-back days, Tuesday and Wednesday. So, Islanders have to be ready because they've got to at least split those two games if they hope to emerge victorious. Now, if there's something on your mind, Islanders related, a question, a comment, a topic you'd like us to talk about, just shoot us an email, the email address, lockedonislanders at gmail.com. Leave us uh, your name and where you're from, like, you know, John from Massapequa, and uh, we're more than happy to mention you on the air when we discuss your email or your topic or your question. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Isles, and you could follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWarsNYR, V-S-N-Y-I. All right, the Islanders winning game one, two to one and beating the Florida Panthers, yeah, it was strange playing a playoff game with no fans in the stands, but again, just happy to see hockey again, and most of the Islanders players really did look ready to roll, and the Islanders, I think the best part about this, a lot of little things going right for the Islanders, but in a big-picture situation, the Islanders played their style of hockey from the opening faceoff. And you know, we talked on Friday's show right before the game, and we said, you know, the worst thing for the Islanders is if this is a run- and gun uh, wide open kind of a hockey game, if the Islanders are going to do that and play for a six to five kind of a, a, a game, they're most likely not going to win it. But if it's a tight checking contest, the Islanders have a much better chance. And you know what? From the beginning of the game, the Islanders did exactly what they set out to do. And, you know, we went over the list of the important things to look for in this series, and the Islanders really did check most of the boxes. And, You know, defensively, they played overall a very, very solid game. And yeah, you know, the Islanders, 28 shots uh, allowed in this game. But how many really, really good scoring opportunities? And the answer is not too many. And that is the key. And they really held the top guns of the Florida Panthers to a limited number of chances. Alexander Barkov, three shots on goal, no goals. Mike Hoffman, their leading goal scorer, one shot on goal in this game. Jonathan Hubbardow, two shots on goal. Now, he scored on one of them, but again, you're taking their best players and limiting their scoring chances. And that is what you want to do if you're the New York Islanders. The Florida Panthers are a high-powered offense that has a lot of dangerous weapons. And the Islanders shut them down and took that those weapons away. And that's exactly what they wanted to do. And look, you saw uh, Barry Trotz do a good job matching lines. Uh, A lot of the time, you had Sezekis, Martin, and Clutterbuck out there against the top line for the Florida Panthers, and those guys, look, Sezekis played almost 15 minutes. Martin, almost 12, Clutterbuck, 14 and a half. You're talking about more minutes than these fourth-line players typically get in a December, you know, mid-December regular season kind of a game. But these guys responded, and they did well. And they did help shut down. The other thing is you had Pelic and Pulak out there as often as possible against Florida's top line. So, always good to see the, that duo out there. And the Islanders, I'll tell you something else. Lost Johnny Boychuk. you know, early in this game. He played only five minutes and 17 seconds, and so they were down for most of the last two periods, at least, they were down to five defensemen, and and even, you know, for a short amount of time, they were down to four defensemen, but overall, down to five defensemen. Scott Mayfield, you know what, doesn't show up much in the box score, 24 minutes, 31 seconds, leading all Islanders defensemen. Devontae's 22 minutes, 40 seconds on ice with an assist. Nick Letty and Adam Pellick, 21 minutes and change, and Ryan Pulak, 20 minutes and six seconds. All five of them had to step up, and when you're protecting what was for the last 19 and a half minutes of the game, a one-goal lead, those guys did not tire, they had enough stamina they played smart. They didn't play fancy. In short, the Islanders played Islanders hockey. They played Barry Trotz's style to a T, and the result was a two-to-one victory for the Islanders. And you want to know why this is especially good news? You look at the statistics going back to when the NHL had a best-of-five series every year in the late 70s. Uh, well, really in the 80s and into the very early 90s. The team that wins Game 1 in a best-of-five series wins almost 82% of the series. Now, that doesn't mean the Islanders have clinched anything, but I certainly would rather be on the side, statistically, that wins 82% of the time than the other side, which wins only 18%. All right, we got a lot more to discuss and break down about Game 1. We've got our Islanders' birthday of the day All of that's still to come on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. And if you want your car to run right, check out rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. rockauto.com offers the lowest prices possible, rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody. It does not require a membership or an account logon. You can choose all the auto and body parts for your car from hundreds of manufacturers, and they've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet. Whether it's your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks, and they deliver it directly to your door. The catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate, and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck, not just what your particular dealer has on his computer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, so let's talk about the injury to Johnny Boychuk. The Islanders did not practice Sunday, and Barry Trotz indicated that he did not have an update as of yesterday on Boychuk. And look, you know what? Here we talked again when we were previewing this series about the Islanders' depth on the blue line. And if Boychuk, the Islanders still, you know, they were off Sunday, they'll practice Monday, head back to the ice, Tuesday, um, if Boychuk can recover from that headshot in time, he will probably be back in the lineup. If he cannot recover in time, there are options. You got Noah Dobson, you got Andy Green. You could put one of them into the lineup. You could put both of them into the lineup and take Nick Letty out. Although I don't think necessarily that that's what Barry Trotz is inclined to do. If anything. I think Trotz is more likely to go with Green, the veteran. He prefers veterans, relies on veterans, and we'll see what happens. But I think if Boychuk isn't ready, they will lean toward Green and then Dobson in that order, Uh, but we'll see. Other good signs for the Islanders. Uh, Again, the defense played well. They limited the top line. Face-off circle, another one of those little things that we talked about that could make a difference in this series. And again, Matthew Barzal, 7 out of 9 in the face-off circle. Jean-Gabriel Pajot, 8 out of 10 in the face-off circle. Those are key things you needed. You also had a goal from the third line, and that is huge for the Islanders. Pajot getting his first goal of the playoffs in the third in the first period. Derek Brassard played well with Pajot. That duo seems to have a certain amount of chemistry and Tom Kunackle replaced Ross Johnston, finished out that line, made it click and that was a- another one of the positives. Simeon Varlamov again, a positive for the Islanders didn't get tested often, but got the job done when he was tested, 27 saves out of the 28 shots that he faced, a 964 save percentage for Varlamov, and that was encouraging. And you know what? On those few occasions that he did need to step up, he did. And that's what you need from your goaltender. And the other thing is that the power play came through. The special teams kept the Panthers off the board. Florida did not score a power play goal, and the Islanders did. Bavillier on the power play from Taves and Bailey at 339 of the second period. And, you know, the first power play wasn't good. The second power play was a little better. The third one results in the goal. But, The improvement was encouraging, and more importantly, again for the Islanders, they win the special teams battle, and that was very, very encouraging. You gotta love it. You you just gotta like what you saw. Adam Pellick, we talked about 21 minutes, 31 seconds on the ice, also credited with five hits to lead the Islanders in this game, showing his physical presence and having Pelic and Pulak back on the ice as a duo was, again, a very positive sign for the Islanders. If you're the Florida Panthers, there are some positives as well. And maybe the biggest one is they didn't play their best game. They didn't play their style of hockey, and they still only lost by one goal— And I think the other important thing for the Florida Panthers, that if I'm an Islanders fan, I think it concerns me a little bit. Sergei Bobrovsky played well. The Islanders had some other chances in this game that they had a chance that they could realistically put this game away and Bobrovsky kept them in. So, again, that was a cause for optimism if you're the Florida Panthers. But for the Islanders, you can pretty much click off almost all the boxes as to what you set out to do. Third line doing its job, check. Jean-Gabriel Pajot playing well, and we talked about how important he was, check. Pelik and Pulak back in action, Pelik. You know, 20-plus minutes, five hits. Check. Varlamov played well. Check. Play your style of hockey. Have the, Win the, the special teams battle. All of those things that the Islanders were emphasizing and looking at as important, they more or less got done. And that was, as far as the Islanders are concerned, exceptionally good news for the Islanders. So, uh, overall, gotta be happy about this game and gotta put it in your back pocket and build on it. And that, I think, is the important thing. It'll be interesting to see uh, what Joel Quenville does in Game 2. We will discuss that. We will uh, have our Islanders' birthday of the day and start peeking ahead to Game 2 as we have more to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Islanders podcast. Time for our birthday of the day before we preview game two of the Islanders-Panthers series, talk about a few things that will matter. Uh, first of all, today would have been the 72nd birthday for Brian Marchinko, who is an original Islander, played for the team in 72-73, and again in, briefly, in the Islanders' second season, 1973-74, born on August 2nd, so that was uh, yesterday, in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, and again, after playing five NHL games with the Maple Leafs, joined the Islanders for their inaugural season, scored two goals and eight points, he was a center, uh, came up with the Flin Flon Bombers, if you want to go to junior hockey, then the Tulsa Oilers for a couple of years in the old CHL, and then joined the Islanders. Uh, Split time with the Islanders and the New Haven Nighthawks in 72-73, the Providence Reds, the Fort Worth Wings, and the Islanders in 74-75. Unfortunately, or sadly enough, uh, Marchenko passed away uh, way too young, died May 12, 2014 at the age of 65, but we are going to look back at a magic moment for him, the game in which Brian Marchenko scored his first NHL goal. March 17, 1973, Islanders and the St. Louis Blues at the Nassau Coliseum. Wayne Stevenson, the goalie for St. Louis, Jerry Desjardins, the goaltender for the Islanders, 12,563 fans on hand at the Coliseum. Islanders got the only goal of the first period as Billy Harris got his 23rd from Tom Miller and Brian Spinner Spencer. That was a power play goal as Floyd Thompson of St. Louis was off for holding. In the second period, Miller, Tom Miller, his ninth, Jermaine Gagnon and Jerry Hart with the assist at 211. Islanders. Then Lorne Henning, his seventh from Jean Potvin and Brian Lefley at 627. And the Islanders led 3-0. But the Blues bounced back, tied the game at three as future Islander Wayne Merrick, Gary Unger, and Ab DeMarco each get goals in the second period. And after 40 minutes, it's a 3-3 hockey game. Then the Islanders take the lead back. Tom Miller, his 10th from Billy Harris and Jermaine Gagnon at 241. And then at 318, less than a minute later, Brian Marchinko, his first career NHL goal, the only assist to Bob Nystrom, and the Islanders had a 5-3 lead. Chris Evans of St. Louis scored his ninth from Fran Huck at 842 to make it 5-4, but the Islanders get an empty net goal At 19.57, Neil Nicholson, his third from the captain, Ed Westfall, and the Islanders skate away with a 6-4 win over the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Tom Miller, two goals and one assist to lead the Islanders. As far as the plus-minus, Neil Nicholson and Jerry Hart were plus threes, and shots on goal-wise, Billy Harris and Tom Miller tied for the team lead at four each. Islanders outshot 36-20, but Desjardins played very well to earn his fourth win of the season, and the New York Islanders uh, get a win, their 10th win in the history of the franchise, to improve their record to 10-58-5, but magically for our uh, Islanders' birthday of the day, Brian Marchinko, his first career NHL goal. All right, now, Some questions as we start to look ahead at what might be coming in game two. I think, you know, here's the thing that Joel Quenville did, and Joel Quenville is an excellent coach. I would tend to think, you know, he put all of his best players together in game one on that top line, yet, Barkov and Hoffman and Hubbardow. And you get the feeling he's going to spread those guys out in Game 2 and try to mix things up and get some more scoring from some of his other lines. You know, the Islanders are a defensive-oriented team. They play defense first. And if they can concentrate on stopping that one top line and don't have to worry so much about the other lines, that makes their lives a lot easier. It makes the matchups clearer for Barry Trotz. I think if I'm Joel Quenville, I at least have to mix things up and maybe put the big guys, the big guns together on the power play, but not necessarily keep them together throughout the game. Separate them at times. Make Barry Trotz think, make him uh, adjust to the new reality. So that is one thing I think that you'll see from the Florida Panthers. The other thing is, Aaron Ekblad had a good game for Florida. He was a plus one, four shots on goal, played 25 minutes 34 seconds, which was the most minutes of any Florida player in the game. I think they will try to rely on him more uh, and show, you know, showcase his ability under the circumstances. Meanwhile, obviously, I think if you're the Islanders, and Barry Trotz mentioned this in his uh, Sunday press conference, you know, games two and three, back-to-back days. Don't be surprised if the Islanders go with Thomas, Gr- Thomas Grice in one of those two games, probably game three, especially if the Islanders are up two games to none. Uh, according to Trotz, Varlamov beat out Grice by a nose, that was his quote, uh, for the starting goaltender spot. So when you've got back-to-back games and you've got a situation where none of your goalies have played a lot of minutes over the last four and a half months, uh, especially in game situations, having the depth at goaltender that the Islanders have gives them the luxury Of turning to Grice if they need to. And again, wouldn't surprise me if Grice is the starter in Game 3, but Varlamov definitely looking good in Game 1, and that is definitely encouraging. Uh, Brock Nelson, five shots on goal. Anthony Bevilier, four shots on goal for the Islanders. And those guys looked strong together. I don't think we're going to see major lineup changes for the Islanders, with the possible exception of Boychuck. Tom Kunacle, you know, again, uh, Trotz going with the veteran over the less experienced Johnston, but Kunackle played well. The gamble or the hunch paid off for Barry Trotz. And you see why Barry Trotz is one of the better coaches in the National Hockey League. All right, that wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL for a league-wide perspective on the National Hockey League. Have a great day, everybody. Game two just around the corner, and of course, let's go Islanders.